0: 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we continue to study uh, this teaching in Corinthians about how our faith in Christ should shape the various relationships in our lives. And uh, here we come in, in verses 17 to 40, looking at the topic of singleness, as Seth said earlier. If you are unmarried... How does your faith in Christ impact your marital status? We, we often talk about what it means to be a ma- married as a Christian, but what does it mean to be single as a Christian? And so, here uh, Paul wants to tell us about that and give his insight in that. So, I'm going to read this section. It, it's it's a little bit long, but it's good and, and uh, it's helpful. But I, I thought it'd be helpful to read it first, and then we can talk about it. So, it's verses 17 to 40 of First Corinthians 7. And I just want you to be listening for what is Paul's general attitude toward singleness. How would you summarize it? All right, let me read these verses. Verse 17, starting at verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, He who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. (laughs) From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who were happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided." An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she's getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry He should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, She's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. And in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Raise your hand if you have ever played or if you are familiar with the board game called Life. Is anyone? Okay. A lot of you here. That's good. If you are unfamiliar with life, it's a simple board game where you, you know, it's one of those race to the finish kind of board games where you start at one end and you spin a little dial and you move your pawn around the board. And the goal is to get to the finish line first and to, to be the person with the most wealth at the end of the game. Uh, and, and so you, you spin the dial and, and you start this board game. But the, the thing about this board game is, is that all the spaces on the board are the things that happen in life. That's why it's called life. Uh, of course, it's a, a very suburban American version of life. But it's still, that, that's the idea. So you spin the dial, and the first thing you do is you move your pawn, which happens to be a station wagon. And uh, and, and it, it, you uh, go around to first find what your career is going to be, and you land, you're either going to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, and that determines your salary level. And then as you spin the dial, you move to different spaces on the board, and so there's paydays where you get more money, and, and, you know, events happen on the board, like you've got to buy your first house, because we all do that in life, right? And, uh, and, and then sometimes you land on a space and it, like, real, something really good happens, like your uncle dies and you get a huge inheritance. Or sometimes you land on a crummy space, like your business goes bankrupt and you have to pay back money. So the whole thing is you're going through the things of life, making decisions, and, and the goal is to, to get to the retirement mansion where the person with the most money wins, so here you are, a little kid playing this game, and you're being sort of shaped to think about life in a certain way. I, you know, I'm a little kid playing this game, and I'm being brainwashed. The person with the most money at the end wins. That's the point of life. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a funny, a funny thing. But you know, there's another space on the board. It's a space fairly early in the progress of the game, and it's one of the unique spaces on the board because it's a space that when you come to it, you have to stop. You can't pass it. So if if you have like, if that space is one space away and you roll a 10, doesn't matter. You have to stop at that space. It's a unique space in the board. Everyone has to go there. Everyone has to do it. There are no options. You can't go around it. Everyone activates this space. Do you know what the space is? Marriage. In the game of life, everybody gets married. And they get married early in the game. Those are the rules. That's how life is supposed to work, right? I mean, that's what the game is communicating. But even if you have never played the board game Life, you have certainly received this message from our culture, from movies, from television. If you've ever watched any of the Disney princess movies, the princess finds her prince, and then they have love's true kiss, first kiss, whatever, and then they live happily ever after. That's life. That's how it's supposed to go. And even if you've never watched a Disney princess movie, if you've been single at some point in your life, certainly you've had relatives who've reinforced this message. Why can't you find a nice young man or woman and settle down? And you know, there's a boy that I saw down, and he would be perfect. I could set you up. And you know, you're not getting any younger, and... The clock is ticking, honey. I can hear it. And, I mean, all these messages that that come to us from well-meaning people who love us. But for crying out loud, isn't it even in the Bible? You know, early in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, like the first chapter in the Bible, God makes human beings, and, and it's very emphatic, he makes them male and female, and he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. And then you turn to chapter 2, and there it is again. God creates Adam, and God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper. And he makes Eve. And so the the second chapter of the Bible ends with this romantic uh, kind of marriage ceremony that becomes the paradigm for marriage after that. And maybe you're like, you know, I I know that's what the culture says, and that's what the Bible says too, and frankly, that's what I would like. And maybe you're single and you're like, yeah, what's, what's the problem with that? That's what I would hope would happen. That, that's what my heart yearns for. And so we have this kind of cultural and biblical and even natural understanding that it seems like people come of age and get married and go on with life. And that that's a, a critical step in the happiness and purpose and shape of a normal life. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 7, (laughs) and it just blows all that out of the water. You come to 1 Corinthians 7, here's Paul, Uh, we've been studying this for the last couple Sundays, and he's talking about different relationships in which we find ourselves, and how being a follower of Jesus should shape those relationships. So we talked about sexuality a couple weeks ago. Last Sunday we looked at divorce and remarriage. How does being a Christian uh, shape that experience? And then we come now to singleness. And what Paul has to say is, is just completely different. Paul has a totally different take on singleness, one that's different from our culture. And, and his basic take is, if you could summarize what he has to say, it's this, marriage is fine, marriage is good, singleness is better. If you could choose and you can handle it, be single. You know, if you have to get married, okay. You didn't do anything wrong. I'm not mad at you. I'm not telling you you can't. But if you can be single, that's even better. You should prefer singleness. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? And what do we do with this text? It's such a different passage. But, but let's just look at it again. I I want you to hear what Paul is saying four times in chapter 7. Four times in chapter 7, Paul addresses different situations in which one might find themselves unmarried, and four times he drives home the message that marriage is fine. You're not doing anything wrong if you want to get married. It's okay, but singleness is better. Four times he says it. Verses 8 and 9, it's the first one. Here's a general teaching. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is Good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Paul was a single a single man. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. You know, we often think, oh, those poor mari- uh, single people, they don't have someone. And here's Paul like, oh, those poor married people can't control themselves. Well, if you're so spiritually immature that you can't control yourself sexually, well, I guess you'd get married. But I wish you were like me. Wouldn't that be Awesome. If you were single and you could control yourself, that's better. What? You know, example number two, verse 25, he says now about virgins. That word, that word virgin there is probably talking about, um, uh, in that culture, kind of young, uh, unmarried women who've just sort of come of marriageable age. We, you know, sort of like the old English word maiden. You know, a maiden who's just uh, now at the age where she can get married. And again, what does Paul say? He says, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't teach about this directly, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Well, don't seek a divorce. We talked about that last Sunday. But are you unmarried? Don't look for a wife. I think you shouldn't be shopping around. If you do marry... You haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, uh, she hasn't sinned. If the young maiden marries, it's okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying, you know, be open to singleness. Third example, down in verse 36. Now Paul is speaking to another unmarried situation, which is uh, a, a man who's engaged or, or might be engaged to a woman. And again, Paul says in verse 36, if anyone thinks he's acting improperly and she's getting along in years, you think you ought to marry, go ahead. Verse 36, you, you, should marri- you should get married, but the person, verse 37, who's decided not to, that man also does the right thing. Summary, verse 38, he who marries the virgin does right. Marriage is great, super, go ahead and get married, but he who does not marry does even better. Even better. Fourth example, the situation of widows. Verses 39 and 40. So if you're a Christian, and your spouse has died. How should you think about your singleness? Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. If you're you're widowed, you're free to marry, but of course he must belong to the Lord. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't marry someone who's not a Christian, that's fundamental. But then he says, verse 40, in my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. So four times, four different situations, four different places in which one might normally find themselves unmarried in life, and four times Paul says, if you want to get married, it's okay, I'm not stopping you, it's fine, go be married. But if you don't, awesome, (laughs) even better, I wish you'd consider it. Seriously consider staying single. What are we supposed to do with this? This is a fascinating passage. It's not only interesting because it's so different from the cultural narrative and, and it, it, you know, how do we fit it in with Genesis 1 and 2 where God seemed to make Adam and Eve and tell them to be fruitful and multiply. And I also think it's interesting because in my experience, this is just anecdotal, in my experience, this typically is not the message that Bible-believing evangelical churches send to unmarried people. Like, it's almost like, we, you know, we believe the Bible, we're all, you know, we're Bible-believing Christians here, we believe this is the Word of God, but we're not so sure about chapter 7. It's almost like when we come to this chapter, we're, you know, tear that one out, and like, I'm not, that's weird, I think that's kind of Paul's thing, it's not really, is that really true? Is really what Scripture says? And often in the church, if, if you're unmarried, the message you get, perhaps implicitly, is a different message. The message we sometimes send, even in Bible-believing churches that truly, really want to live by the word of God, the message we sometimes send is, you know, marriage is normal, singleness is transitional. Right, you know, marriage. we're all in the airplane, married people have landed the plane, single people are still circling, looking for the right runway, and when they find it. And so, we need to help them get there. Um, Marriage is the steady state, single is the in-between state. Marriage is completeness and happiness and life ever after. Singleness is loneliness and unhappiness and difficulty and not fitting in this. And sometimes that message can be communicated implicitly in a lot of different ways. It can be com- communicated implicitly uh, in, in a youth group setting. And I'm not saying anything about our youth group here, but just in general this thing can kind of happen. You imagine a in a youth group setting... There's a talk on abstinence, for instance. And the message is, you know, you should stay sexually abstinent until you're married. That's the biblical teaching. And 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 sometimes it's like, wow, why did I do that? And then the answer is, well, you know, you want to stay pure for your spouse someday. So you get the idea in your head. Yeah, if I stay sexually pure for my spouse from here on out, then when God gives me that person, then that'll be great. But then what happens if you're like, 30 or 35 and you stayed pure but God didn't bring Prince Charming through the door. You kind of feel like you got gypped. I thought if I stayed abstinent that God would honor that. I mean, huh? We sort of framed it as a promise almost. That can happen. It can happen sometimes in the programming of a church where, you know, a church looks around and it's like, gee, a lot of married people having a lot of problems. <laughs> marriage is hard. We need a marriage ministry. So we start a marriage ministry in the church. And, uh, and by the way, I, we have a marriage ministry in our church. It's awesome. I love it. One of the things I love about our marriage ministry is it's very low-key. It's not like kind of a church within a church. That, that's one of the dangers of any kind of program, like a youth ministry or men's ministry or women's, is that sometimes they can become kind of like a church within the church. And I love our marriage ministry that's kind of low-key and supportive, which is, I think, where ministry should be. Because the main ministry of the church is the church. You you are the ministry to each other. And those other kinds of ministries we do sort of support and foster that. But the main ministry of the church is the church itself. But anyway, back to my story. Sometimes churches say, well, we need a marriage ministry. So they start a marriage ministry. Then the single people go, hey, what about us? What about the single people? Wow, we should do a singles ministry. We should do a singles ministry. Because how else are they going to get married? You know? And the single people are like, yeah, how am I going to meet anyone? You know? So, so, it's sort of like we're creating ministries, but the underlying assumption for both married and single is the same. We need to help people get married because that's the normal right way to be. And so, it's implied, it, it's kind of communicated. And I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing our congregation or saying that our marriage ministry or singles or anything is like that. I'm just saying that's a dynamic that easily happens in churches. Or, what, what about if the church is looking for a new pastor or is looking for an elder? Would you consider a single man for a pastor? You know, someday I'm not going to be the senior pastor of this church. I don't know when that day is, but someday that will be the case. What if you start looking for a a new senior pastor and you find an excellent candidate who is single? Would you consider that person? Or would you say, well, they're not married, so I don't know. That would be kind of weird. What message are you sending? What, What are we saying? And so I think those are the ways that implicitly we we send the message that is different from what Paul is explicitly teaching here, which is marriage is great, marriage is fine, marriage is awesome, let's fight for marriages, strengthen marriages, build up marriages, but singleness is even better. And so let's hold up and celebrate singleness in the church. And let's encourage people to consider singleness as a great way to live for Christ. Okay. Okay. Paul, why do you think this? So that's the teaching, but what, how does Paul get there? And that's what really the rest of 1 Corinthians sevens is, is it's, it's sort of an, inter. he goes back and forth between the main message, marriage is fine, singleness is better, and then he just kind of intersperses it with reasons. So it's the assertion, the reason, and he just keeps going back and forth like that. So let me trace out with you three reasons why Paul would Say this idea that singleness is preferable if you have the choice and if you can do it, that's the way to go. Why would Paul say that? And Paul, I want to show you three reasons. And all three of these reasons, at their root, have to do with the gospel. That the gospel should change the way we think about everything. The fact that Jesus has saved us isn't just a ticket to get into heaven. It is the new way through which I view the totality of life, even singleness and marriage. And so because of the gospel, we have a different way to think about singleness in this life that should put us in the place where Paul is, where he says, marriage is great, marriage is fine, let's support, fight for marriages, but singleness is better. Why would he say that? Reason number one, gospel reason number one, because your identity is, as a Christian, is now founded in Christ, not in your life circumstances. Your identity as a Christian is in Christ because of the gospel, not in your life circumstances. That's the point, I believe, of verses 17 to 24, which we started off with. That's where Paul was talking about circumcision, uncircumcision. You're like, why is he talking about that? What does that have to do with anything? Then he's talking about slaves and free people, yeah, but but what's his point? His point is, stay in the condition in which you were saved. That's a general principle that Paul teaches all over the place. So here's Paul, goes into a new city, preaches the gospel, people get saved, they follow Jesus, but now they have a question. Well, now that I'm a Christian, what, what should I do with my life circumstances? And Paul's answer is kind of like, just stay where you are. Why? Because those life circumstances are no longer your primary identity. Your identity is... Is in Christ. Jesus Christ has saved you. He has purchased you. Look at verse 22. 22 and 23 really sum it up. He who was a slave when he is called is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. So, so Christianity is that experience of God purchasing us. You know, we were slaves to sin and God sent his own son Jesus who shed his blood and that blood Jesus shed was the payment price to purchase us out of sin and, and now we belong to Jesus. So my primary identity isn't my political viewpoint. My primary identity isn't my socioeconomic status. My primary identity isn't Jew or Gentile, slave or free. My primary identity is I belong to christ that's who i am and all those other things are kind of secondary and, and so we, we're, we're so you know so, so normal to kind of divide one another into different groups and and different things and i'm like this and you're like that i was just on facebook and i got suckered into taking another one of those stupid personality tests you know so you can go on facebook and see what my personality is which was frighteningly accurate but um uh, to everyone else's dismay, probably. But, but you know, we love to do that. We love to categorize ourselves. And what are you like? And what am I like? And we try to put each other in all kinds of boxes. But it's as if God is looking down from heaven and he's got two boxes. Mine, not mine. People who love my son and worship my son. People who reject him. Which is your identity? That's the only identity that ultimately matters. And that carries over to marriage. You know, and and I think this is so important. Our identity is not found in our marital status. Our identity is found in Christ. If you're a Christian, then you're a Christian. Whether you're single or married, that's kind of incidental. It's it's, are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? And I think some of us uh, have struggled. Maybe you are unmarried. Maybe you have been unmarried. And, And identity can be a huge issue. Like, who am I? What do I tell people about myself? You know, hi, what's your name? So and so. Where do you work? Are you married? People are already like putting you in the categories. And it's like, well, who cares? I belong to Jesus. That's my main identity. And so, you know, we don't need to seek an identity in a relationship with another person. No other person can define who you are. Christ has done that. Or put it another way, you, you have a relationship that defines you. It's with Jesus. And that just pushes everything else aside and makes it secondary. And so don't don't feel a need to run off and find somebody so you can figure out who you are to find an identity. Or you, you, know, you don't need a man or a woman to make you complete. You are complete in Christ. And it affects the way we relate to each other in the church. You know, we, we should see each other in the church primarily as brothers and sisters in Christ. And and you know, whether you grew up in Weymouth or Cohasset or, or Kingston or Braintree, it's like, oh, who cares? <laughs> whether you got a southern twang or a, a Maine down east accent, who cares? Wh- whatever your socioeconomic status is, wh- whether you, you work with your hands or, or you work with you know, ideas or, or whether you're single or whether you're married or, or no matter how much pigment is in your skin, it's all irrelevant because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That identity, it just flattens all the others. Not that they're unimportant, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And so I think that means in the church, we should be a place where, the, where there is a new reality, the reality created by the gospel, that, that makes us one in Christ, so that so that people who are single and married should interact with each other like, what's the big deal? You know. I hope we're a church where single and married people can be happily together in growth groups. I hope we're a church where single and married people can do vacations together and get involved in each other's lives and, and foster friendships and not be like, "Well, I don't know, should I be, can I be can I have you over for dinner because we're married and you're not." I mean, is that right? Don't, isn't that what happens though? We draw those kinds of boundaries. That that for some reason, the married single thing rises as if it's such a different kind of experience that we're no longer brothers and sisters in Christ. But the church should be the place where married people and single people can have real intimacy. One of the challenges of of singleness is loneliness. Uh, Probably one of the best things about being married is companionship. I would say, you know, you say, what's my favorite thing about being married? Probably companionship. We all need to have companions. We all need friendship. Well, Jesus has created a family where we can all have companionship. And, and not just a superficial, how you doing, how you doing? But we're brothers and sisters. We, we can love each other and share our lives together. You know, being married doesn't necessarily solve loneliness. There's a lot of lonely married people too. And so the church should be a place where we have companionship and fellowship because our identity has been completely retooled through the cross, and we're now his. And so because of that, don't worry about getting married. I mean, if you want to, fine, that's great. That's not who you are. You belong to Christ. Second reason why singleness is preferable to marriage, why Why if you're unmarried, you shouldn't feel some Pressured rush to go off and get married. Why you can be totally happy for the rest of your life single, should, should it turn out that way, should you so desire. A second reason why singleness is preferable to a marriage is, is not only what the gospel has done to my identity, but how the gospel has completely changed my future. So that my future isn't the game of life. Oh, someday I'll get married and someday I'll retire wealthy. Yeah, that's not our future anymore. Our future is the coming of the kingdom of God at the end of this age. Look down at verse 29. He says, what I mean, brothers, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Some wives are like, yeah, my husband's got that down. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who were happy as if they were not. What do you mean, mourn if I wasn't happy? What? What does that mean? Those who uh, buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. What, what is this talking about? And then the explanation at the end makes it all come together. For this world in its present form is passing away. This world is passing away. This world is passing away. It started at Christmas. When Jesus came, the promised kingdom of God just crashed into this world. And the world to come began with the coming of Jesus. The world to come is growing secretly within this world right now as people are coming to faith in Christ. The kingdom of God is growing invisibly in this world. And this world that everyone thinks is all that there is and all that, this world is fading to black. When Jesus returns at Christmas, the sequel. All right, I finally saw the Hobbit the sequel this weekend. Oh. But Christmas the sequel. Christmas the sequel. It's gonna be ridiculous. And when Christ comes again, this world is done. It's done. And the world to come will be fully visible. And so we as Christians live in this world understanding that it's fading to black. It's passing away. You know what being a Christian is like in this world? It's like being a high school senior in the spring. Yeah, you're in school. Yeah, you don't want to flunk it out at the end, but whatever. You know how high school seniors are in the spring. They're checked out a little bit. Because they're already like, I know where I'm going to college, or I know what I'm going to do this summer, I know what I'm going to do next, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'm just kind of just getting through, biding my time. That's what it's like to be a Christian on planet Earth in between the first and second comings of Jesus. I mean, we're here, it's important, we're not negligent, we work hard, we have houses, all that stuff's important. But like, dude, my house is going to burn. I'm not going to be a preacher when Jesus comes back. <laughs> you know, my, my gym membership won't matter. Uh, my possessions and my hobbies and my toys, it, it's all going away. All the politics won't matter. The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. So don't get all bent out of shape about politics. Come on. It's all just rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. (laughs) Let's take back our country. Okay, that's good. He's not going to be here when Jesus comes back. There won't be an America. There will just be the kingdom of God. Everything is fading to black. Including Marriage. There will be no marriage in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Jesus taught that explicitly. When you die, your marriage is over. You will not remarry in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Jesus said that explicitly. And some of us were like, what? You know, Of course, it's ludicrous to think we would be married in heaven. I mean, what if you like get divorced or you're widowed, and then you marry someone else who was divorced or widowed? or whatever, and then, say, two widows marry each other. How about one person has lost three wives, and that person has lost two husbands, and then they get married in heaven. Is it going to be like a nine-way marriage? I mean, it's like, what? What? You know, what's it Uh, going to be? Let me rephrase that. There is marriage in heaven. There's one marriage in heaven. It's between the Son of God and His people. And in heaven, it'll be the fulfillment. At the beginning of the Bible, you have a marriage between Adam and Eve. At the end of the Bible, you have a marriage between the last Adam and his bride, the church. And what will happen when Christ comes is that earthly marriages that we now know, which are the shadow and the prefigurement, will be done because the reality will come. And on that day, we will be completely fulfilled in our marriage to Christ and in our relationship with each other. I think the other thing that's going to happen when Christ comes is that we're going to experience the fullness of human fellowship. You know, think of the best marriage that ever happened. I don't know if we could ever find, like, the happiest marriage that ever existed on planet Earth. That happy marriage that ever existed, wherever it was, will be nothing compared to the joy and intimacy and fellowship and companionship that Christians will have with each other in the kingdom of God that even marriage on this earth is a prefigurement of the kind of love and fellowship we're going to have with each other when we're with Christ and our relationship with Him. In heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will only be one marriage, and then there will be a great divorce. And you'll either be married to God and married to Christ, or you'll be divorced from Him forever. So, don't sweat it if you're not married. Whatever, marriage is like houses. It's like jobs. It's like politics. It's all fading to black. So if you don't get married in this life, you didn't really miss anything because the real the real thing's still coming. That's your thing. You're not going to miss it. So don't worry. You, you know, people who are always pining about getting married. It's it's kind of like if someone were to say to you, you know, like, oh, I really, 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 really want a Lexus. Lord, please give me a Lexus. <laughs> Small group tonight, let's share prayer requests. Ah, oh, you know what I want, guys. I always pray for it, but I'm still asking God for that Lexus. You know? And if someone was keeping praying for a Lexus, praying for a Lexus, at some point you'd be like, you know, can I talk to you about that? Because, I mean, that's cool. I hope God gives you a Lexus. But, like, if he doesn't, it's okay because this, you know, you know your Lexus isn't the be-all, end-all. You know you can't take it with you, right? But, you know, the same thing with marriage. You can't take it with you. You can't take marriage with you. It stays here. It's part of this creation, but this creation is going out. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. So, maybe that's a little flippant to compare it to a Lexus. I, I know it's deeper than that because Lexus isn't the way God made us, but marriage is part of the way God made us. And yet, it's still fading out. And So, you're not losing anything by not being married. In the grand scheme of things, you're not deprived. You're not missing out because you're, if you're a believer, you have the new heavens and the new earth that's coming and the new true marriage that we're all looking forward to. For this world in its present form, including marriage as we know it, is passing away. So, if you want to get married, great, awesome, happy for you. We'll do the wedding here. But don't get been out of shape about it. Singleness is better. Because... Your identity is in Christ. You, you don't need to find another person to be happy because of the future that's coming. The gospel shaped my identity. The gospel shaped my future. And number three, here's the third one, the gospel shapes my present. Because now in this world, as I wait for the coming of Christ, I am a servant of Christ. And it's easier to serve Christ when you're not married. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. I would like to free you from, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided, and vice versa. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Again, not to restrict you, not to say you can't get married, but that you may live in a right way and undivided devotion to the Lord. If you are not married, it's simply a reality that you have more flexibility and freedom to serve Christ. You just do. You know, maybe not more time. I think that's one of the the misconceptions about the single life: is that when you're single, you have all this free time on your hands. And most single people are really busy because, like, they still have to wash their dishes, wash their clothes pay their bills, mow the lawn, <laughs> get their groceries, da, 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 and there's no one to divide the labor with them. So, so, you know, single people are busy too. They have full lives. They're not just sitting around 80 hours a week waiting to do something with their time. And yet, that being said, if you're not married, there's freedom to serve the Lord. If something comes along, an opportunity to serve, a, a short-term mission trip that you want to go on, Or somebody in need in the church who needs someone to kind of pop by right now. Or, um, uh, you know, a cause that you want to give some money to. Or uh, someone in the church who really could use some encouragement and you thought, you know, boy, I'd love to meet with them once a week and read the Bible with that person. All these different ways to serve. If you're unmarried, you got the time and you want to do it, well then go do it. Right? But if you're married, you know that's not how the drill works. All of us who are married. How does it work? Uh, honey, I had this idea. Uh, you know, there's this mission trip that's going to, you know, this place. And I was thinking, can we go? And, and, the, and, the, and your spouse, male or female, is like, well, I don't know. Because, you know, that week, we're actually having a commitment to go see this person. And, you know, I was kind of hoping that we'd use that money for this. And, like, okay, well, and so you're always kind of negotiating back and forth. And that's fine. But here's the point. You're not free in the same way to just serve the Lord. I was talking to uh, one, of the, uh, one of the brothers in this church who's not married and uh, he was saying, you know, sometimes we'd love to be married, and open to that, but wow, I've had so much opportunity to serve others in the church because I'm not married. Says, and that's a great thing. I love that part of not being married is freedom to serve others. Someone might argue, well, your marriage is a ministry, isn't it? Absolutely. 100%. My marriage is my number one ministry. Okay? So, yeah. When I think of like, who am I called to marry, uh, minister to? Like, number one is my spouse. And then if you have children, your children. But that's the point, isn't it? That's a priority now. And so you're not as free to serve in all kinds of ways that the Lord would lead you. That's why I just think it's so crazy that churches won't consider single pastors. I'm like, Really? You know, I want someone who has less time to minister to the church. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just think churches that, that won't consider single pastors are just moronic. Like, you're just being stupid and unbiblical, but stupid too. Wouldn't you want a guy who's like, yeah, I'm totally flexible. You need me there? I'm there. Like, I can't do that a lot of times because I've got to talk to my you know wife and we have a life and I have to minister to her and that marriage comes first. and And so... Yeah, I mean, singleness frees you to serve others, you know? I mean, I'm not arguing for a celibate priesthood, but I am saying, have we, have we kind of backed away from the celibate priesthood so much that we only consider married people in ministry? Paul seems to be saying, hey, what about me? Would you hire Paul as your senior pastor? Would you hire Jesus as your senior pastor? <laughs> I don't know. Being unmarried frees you in a lot of ways. Isn't that what Paul was talking about back up in verse 28? If you do marry, you have not sinned. But if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. You know, beware of the grass is greener syndrome. Beware of thinking, oh, if I was only married... You know, it's like, that's not my experiences. You get married, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of effort. To have a lifelong happy marriage takes lots and lots of sacrifice and lots and lots of communication. It's not easy. It's a struggle. It's good. It has its benefits. It's wonderful. I love my wife. But it's a lot of work. She has a lot of work to deal with me and all my eccentricities. The problem with marriage is, if you get married, 100% guaranteed you're going to marry a sinner. So now you've got a sinner up in your business. <laughs> and I'm a sinner and I'm up in her business. And we're up in each other's business. And, you know, so like, you, it's just a reality. When you're undermarried, dude, you're free of all that. And so see the advantages of that. Don't have the grass is greener syndrome. I, I joked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I love that old line. I think it's a Chuck Swindoll line that marriage is the screen door, right? The flies outside are all trying to get in and the flies inside are all trying to get out. And, uh, it, and I think sometimes we can just be thinking about how much better my life would be if I was this or that. And that's why Paul's saying, guys, serve the Lord. The real question comes down to, in all of this, whether you're single or married, how much has the gospel shaped the way you view life? If I'm single or married, Do I really see that my primary identity is belonging to Christ? If you're single or married, do you really believe that there is a sequel to Christmas that will bring this world to its conclusion and that what really matters is living for the kingdom of God and to the extent that we're engaged in this world, we hold all things loosely? Do we really believe that if you're single or married? And do we really believe, whether you're single or married, that the purpose of life on this earth, the primary calling, is to serve the Lord? You know, if you don't believe those things, then all of this other arguments won't make any sense to you. But to the extent that the gospel really lands on me, Christ has bought me. Christ is coming back for me. I am Jesus's today. That will radically transform the way you look at your marriedness, your singleness, your widowhood, your... Whateverhood, wherever you are, your wealth, your poverty, your job, your unemployment, your, your youth, your old age with its, with its aches and pains, whatever situation in which you find yourself, if you see yourself as Christ's servant, it changes everything. And so that's the real issue. Has the gospel rewired and reprogrammed the way I look at life in this world? And so may the gospel change the way you look at things. I remember when I was single, 21 years ago, to be precise, is when that situation ended. But uh, I was single, I was in college, I'd become a Christian in high school, and uh, just really wasn't into the dating scene. And granted, to be into the dating scene would imply people would want to date you, (laughs) which was a problem for me. I was a bit of a nerd. I know that's a shocker. Um... But then I got to college. I went to a Christian college uh, at Wheaton College and I just like went bananas. And I became uh, what I've often referred to as a serial dater. I was just was like, hey, you wanna go out? Sure, we go out, didn't work. Whatever, hey, you wanna go out? And I, I did that for like a semester and a half. I just dated all kinds of girls. It was a lot of fun. Some relationships last a little longer than others. And, and, and I started having all this, you know, kind of this anxiety about, am I gonna find someone who's the right person? And I just remember one day, it was sometime in uh, kind of mid-way through the second semester of freshman year. I, I just took all of that, and I just laid it before the Lord. And I said, you know, Lord, like I could go crazy trying to figure out my relational status. Lord, I just want to be happy serving you, whatever that means. And if that's singleness, I'm happy. And if that's marriage, if you, if you think I need a spouse for whatever it is you want me to do with my life, I'll take it. But I said, for right now, I'm just going to commit myself to you, and Lord, you, you take care of it. And if you want me married, I'm just going to assume now I'm just going to serve you, and if you want me married, would you please hit me over the head with a two-by-four? And like literally a week later, there was this little five-foot-three two-by-four <laughs> who hit me over the head and has continued to hit me over the head for my good for many years. Moral of the story, commit your ways to the Lord and he'll finally give you a spouse. No! Moral of the story, true freedom and happiness is found in surrendering yourself to Christ. That's happiness. That's life. Single, married, whatever. Live for Christ. Because brothers and sisters, this world in its present form is passing away. And so let us set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not on earthly things. May we be men and women who live in this world, but live kind of like high school seniors in the spring semester, already looking ahead. Help us to love each other, not through the, may God help us to love each other, not through the categories through which people typically identify themselves in this world, but let us love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that the world would see our church and see the way that single and married people interrelate and the world would see our church and see the way that, that people from different uh, nationalities interrelate and see the way that, you know, Democrats or Republicans interrelate and they would see our church and see how we all love each other and they would just go, I don't get it. Like, what? how do you guys do that? And we would say, there's something bigger than all that. It's the gospel. Jesus has saved us, and that is the reality at the core of everything. Come on in. There's still room before Christ returns. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that your gospel would reprogram our hearts hearts, our thinking, our desires, our ambitions. Lord, I pray that your gospel would completely transform us top to bottom, not just save us for eternity, but change the way we operate here and now. Oh, Lord, I pray for single brothers and sisters who are here that you would show them that you are worth it all. Lord, I pray that that you would free their thinking from worldly ways and that they would find all of their hope and life in Christ. Lord, help my single brothers and sisters when they are lonely in those, in those, those parts of the single journey that are difficult. God, I pray that you'd strengthen them and bless them and encourage them. And may we be a church, I just pray, Father, be a church where categories like singleness and marriage are really secondary or tertiary. And God, I pray for those brothers and sisters here who are married, who are going through the trials of marriage. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, I pray that the marriage ministry in this church would just be very effective and that couples would lean into that and lean into each other to find strength for the the challenges of marriage. Lord, I pray for the 10 great dates coming up and couple Sunday school classes. Lord, use these kinds of things to strengthen the church. But Lord, I pray that you would also use married relationships with single people to strengthen marriages. Oh Lord, may the marriage ministry of the church ultimately be the body of Christ in all of its diversity. Lord, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would soften their heart to find out what life is really about that it's not about possessions or jobs or relationships, but it's about one relationship with you, Jesus. I pray that you would soften hearts and that you would call people to yourself, that people would repent of their sins and believe in Christ and be saved. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to live together in light of the world to come. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen.